they, they were in the habit of ignoring and denying fairly important parts of Christianity. Uh, fairly central elements. And when we get to chapter 15, we're finding that they're, they're not too sure about the resurrection of the dead. Now, probably actually they didn't think that Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. Probably they thought Jesus had risen from the dead. But they were pretty sure that nobody else was going to. And, uh, and Paul, in this passage, is basically taking that apart. He's saying, look, be logical about it. If nobody is raised from the dead, then even Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. If Jesus, Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then Christianity is completely empty. If Christianity is completely empty, then you people who claim to be Christians in Corinth are absolutely pitiable and pathetic because you're holding on to something and entrusting your life to something which is empty. That is Paul's argument. And so you see immediately how central to his understanding of Christianity the resurrection of Jesus is. Pull the plug on this, and you may as well throw the rest away. So, three things about Easter that we can take away from this passage for ourselves. Firstly, Easter is about facts. It is about facts. Have you ever had a conversation where somebody has played off religion against facts? Uh, I've had a few of these conversations. When I used to work with students, I used to get it quite a lot. Uh, sometimes you get people saying things along the lines of, of course, uh, you're entitled to your religious opinion, uh, but I think we can all agree that the facts of the matter are X, Y, Z. Um, as a philosopher, that used to annoy me because that's just a way of winning the argument without having the argument because you just decide to pin a label on your opponent's views which make it ridiculous. See, that's what you do. You say that's religious. More fundamentally, do you see what's going on there? People are saying there's a real world, the kind of world we see by daylight of facts, and then floating above it, there are kind of non-solid, cloudy things which we'll call religious beliefs. And, uh, and this stuff down here, this solid stuff, this stuff we can see and touch, that stuff is about knowing and about experiencing and about finding out and about science and about rigorous investigation. And, and that stuff up there, that's about a leap of faith. That's about you can basically believe whatever you want because, you know, it, it's religious and therefore not to do with reality. I honestly think that's what the majority of people in our culture think when they hear the word religion. That is what they believe Christians are about. Well, let me tell you something. There's absolutely nothing religious about the resurrection of Jesus. When the women came to the tomb, it wasn't a religious morning. They didn't come in a kind of religious sunlight which beamed down on them. I, I woke up this morning and I thought, it's raining. How can it be raining on Easter morning? <laughs> but of course it can, because it was just a normal morning. Just another day, weather systems doing what they do in reality. And when they came to the stone, 
It wasn't, I don't know, some magical stone, some smooth stone from a children's playset that rolls back easily in the little groove that has been cut for it. So that you can... It was a real big rock, the kind of rock that you get in reality. There's nothing religious about the resurrection of Jesus. When the disciples saw him alive, it wasn't a religious experience. It was an experience exactly the same as my experience of seeing Pat now, except slightly less startling. (laughs) Slightly more startling. (laughs) Paul is pretty interested in us getting our facts straight. He wants us to understand that Christianity, Easter, is about real things. See what he says uh, in verse 14. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If you call yourself a Christian this morning, if Christ has not been raised, if it didn't really happen in real space and time and history, my standing here is useless, and your sitting there is useless. Your faith is useless. Because whatever this floaty religious stuff up in the air is, you'd be very, very unwise to build a life on it. You build on solid things. I know nothing about building, but I know that much. You don't build on clouds. But Easter is about facts. Actually, Paul says, it will be worse than that for me personally, not me personally, Paul personally. Verse 15, more than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, We've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. See what Paul is saying? Not only is our faith useless, but I have done a very foolish and dangerous thing. I have stood up and said something about God which is not true. I've misrepresented God because I have said that he raised Jesus from the dead. If he didn't raise him, I was lying about God. There's one person you don't want to be caught lying about. It is God. He knows his business. Easter, says Paul, is about facts, about reality. Did you see uh, the huge list of witnesses that he gave? Read from verse 5. In fact, read from verse 4. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. The point of giving this list of people for Paul is not just uh, because it's part of a traditional formula of faith, although it might have been, He gives this list of people to establish there were witnesses. They saw it. It was real. See the implicit challenge in verse 6. He appeared to 500 people at once, most of whom, he says, are still living. Now, the implicit challenge is this. If you're not sure about this, there are people around you can ask. In Paul's day, he could still say, if you don't believe me, Go talk to that guy. He was there. He saw it. It matters that it be real. 
You don't actually make that sort of challenge unless you're pretty confident. It's a big risk, isn't it? Big risk to say, go check it out for yourself. You only say that if you're sure the evidence stacks up. And Paul is sure, because Easter is about facts. That means if you're not convinced, if you're here and you're not sure, the thing to do is to look into it more carefully. If anybody ever says to you, the way to embark on the Christian life, or the way to get on in the Christian life, is to just ignore those doubts, put your blinkers on, make a leap of blind faith. They're directly contradicting what is being said here. Because you can only make a leap of blind faith into a nothingness, into a cloudy vapour. But we're not dealing with that. We're dealing with real reality. So you can look into it. You can investigate. There are some uh, free things, books, pamphlets, other things on the table at the back there. Take them away. Have a look. Look into it. If you are a Christian and if you are trusting in the Easter message, it may well be that there will come points in your life where you are less sure. I've found that myself. This is the point we can always go back to. If everything else seems flaky about the Christian faith, you can always go back to this Sunday morning and the fact that a man who had been dead and in a tomb was alive again. First thing, Easter is about facts. Second thing, Easter is about forgiveness. Look with me at verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. The claim of the Bible is that Jesus' death on the cross is for sins. If you look back to verse 3 of chapter 15, you'll see it there. What I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Jesus died for our sins, the things that we had done wrong, our offences against God, our rebellion against him. And note he did it according to the Scriptures. The wonderful thing, one of the many wonderful things about the death of Christ is that it is an event in history which was interpreted before it happened. When the first Christians want to understand what the death of Jesus was about, they go back into the Old Testament, into ancient writings, where this death was foretold and its meaning was explained. We could go back to loads of different places, but to pick a really obvious one, Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. Jesus' death for our sins explained hundreds of years before it even happens. And what is being said there is this. At the cross on Good Friday, Jesus takes on my sin and my guilt the things that I've done wrong, the things that I'm conscious of and the things that I'm not even aware of that I've done wrong. 
and fundamentally my whole selfish attitude and approach to life that pushes God to the margins, refuses to acknowledge him. Jesus takes on the weight of that on his shoulders. My sin, your sin, the sins of the world. And he carries it to the cross. And on the cross as he dies, he bears the weight of God's righteous punishment against that sin. He bears it. And dies for it. But two questions. First one is, anybody could say they were doing that. Anybody could say that was what their death was about. How would we know? How would we know that that was really true? I mean, if I made a claim like that and died, it would probably just be the case that I was a lunatic. It would not be the case that I was the Son of God dying for the sins of the world. So how do we know? And I think the second question, for me at least, and maybe for you if you have some grasp of how bad your sin actually is, is this. Could one person, even God in the flesh, really take away all of my sin and shame? Could he really bear it right away from me so that it doesn't haunt me anymore? Could he do that? There wasn't a resurrection. If Jesus hadn't been raised, I don't think we could answer either of those questions. We wouldn't know whether he really did what he said he did. And we wouldn't know whether it worked. He would have died. His followers would have gradually drifted away and gone home. And that would have been the end of it. And as far as we were concerned, we'd still be in our sins, still carrying the weight of it. But if Christ was raised from the dead, if after laying in the tomb he was alive again, that means he was doing what he said he was doing. He really had taken my sin, and it had worked. He had taken it away. If he had on his shoulders the whole weight of my sin and shame and of God's righteous judgment, and if the weight of it had crushed him down to the grave, what does it mean that on Easter Sunday he is up and walking around? It means all of that weight is dealt with, gone, forgotten, forgiven, buried. The empty tomb, Easter Sunday, means no more guilt and no more shame. If you're a Christian here and you're still walking around with a burden of guilt and shame, drop it. It went to the tomb with Jesus Christ and when he came out, he did not have it anymore because it was done. If you're a Christian who is not sure whether you are acceptable to God, not sure whether you are good enough. Jesus Christ took everything about you, every detail that displeased your God, died for it, buried it, and left it in the tomb. By his resurrection, you are perfect in God's sight.
If you're not yet a Christian here, that sin still clings to you. But it does not need to because of Easter Sunday morning. Come to him. He takes it away. He offers relationship with God as Father. Easter is about facts. Easter is about forgiveness. Full and complete forgiveness. And thirdly, Easter is about the future. Take a look at verse 18 with me. Then, those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus was not raised, if there was no future for him after death, then what hope is there for those who died trusting in him to get them through death? What hope is there for us in the future? The 16th century clergyman and poet John Donne wrote, Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. But that flies in the face of thousands of years of human experience. Death not mighty, death not dreadful, Mighty enough. Mighty enough to rob us of those we love. Dreadful enough to leave us in fear all of our lives. Christ was not raised. Death is mighty and dreadful enough. But on Easter Sunday, we can look to the future and say, Death, you were not mighty enough to hold my Lord Jesus. You were not dreadful enough to keep him down. You didn't have the strength, death. He broke you. He broke you once and for all. And the Apostle Paul breaks out later in the chapter. Oh, death. Where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Where is it? Gone on Easter Sunday morning. No victory for you, grave. Done, ends his poem. Death, thou shalt die. It's not us, death. It's not us who trust in Jesus who will die. Death, it is you. You shall die because of Easter Sunday. Because Jesus leads even death captive. <laughs> One of my friends this morning, uh, slightly more prosaically, wrote on Facebook, Easter Sunday morning sucks to be you, death. Easter is about the future. And so the question is, do you have this hope? Do you have this hope? Can you look forward with confidence? It is possible for you to have it. 
if we are trusting in a saviour who has taken away all of our sin who has passed through death for us and come out the other side what hope we can have for the future interesting aside if only for this life we have hope in Christ we are of all people most to be pitied I want to lay this down as a a challenge to those of us who claim to follow the Lord Jesus. If people looked at your life, would they say, if Christ was not raised, this person's life is pitiable? What I mean is, have you built your life so completely on the truth of Jesus' resurrection that any honest spectator would say, if that resurrection didn't occur, that life was a waste? I suspect that for me and for many of us, most onlookers would say, well, even if Christ wasn't raised, it gave him something to do on a Sunday morning. Kept him happy, made him feel like there was some sort of meaning to life. I wonder if I was really living for Jesus, whether people would look on and say, Christ was not raised. He's the most pitiable person I know. I'll leave that out there for you to think about. Easter is about facts. It's about forgiveness. It's about the future. Fundamentally, it is about this. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. It's not a quaint church tradition when we greet each other that way. It is truth. We are preaching the gospel, the good news of God to one another when we say that. Christ is risen. Sorry, I shouldn't spring snippets of liturgy on you. It's very unfair. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. We have solid facts to build a life upon. It is real. You can investigate it and you can invite others to investigate it. It is true truth in the real world of murky grey mornings. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. We can have certain forgiveness. Not not a, a guess. Not a, it might have worked. Not a, perhaps if we try harder we will be forgiven. But a certain, he has taken your sin to the grave and left it there and risen to new life. That certain. We can have forgiveness. Christ is raised. We have a secure future. Where he has gone, we will also go if we trust in him. His resurrection body is the first fruits, the foretaste of a glorious resurrection in which we will all take part. It's for all of this that heaven above and all of the angels Praise Jesus continually. They worship him. Here's the interesting thing. To my knowledge, the angels don't particularly benefit from Christ's resurrection. It wasn't their sin he took away. 
wasn't their future he secured. And yet they worship him for it because he has ransomed people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation to be priests to God, to sing his praises. And we're invited on Easter Sunday to join in, to join in the worship of heaven, to praise the Lamb who was slain and is alive again. Let's pray and then we are going to do just that as we sing. Praise you, Heavenly Father, that you have raised the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is alive and reigns with you, and that through him we can know forgiveness. Through him we can know you as Father. Through him we can have a secure future. Help us to praise him as we should do. Help us to live for him as we should do. Fill us with your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. There is a higher throne.